it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Rajkapalan, Peter V.S. Bolland, and Brian Gildenberg, Explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG Guys. Hello and welcome to this CPG Guys podcast where we explore the omni-channel digital journey of brands and retailers. I'm of course your co-host, Shri. Please listen to my daughter's music at www.riyaraj.com. That's R-H-E-A-R-A-J.com. Yes. And follow the exciting adventures of my younger daughter at Dream Academy by High Ben Geffen Records, launched by Universal Music on YouTube or Instagram. Joining me today, of course, is my co-host and friend, the Managing Director of Retail Cities North America and host of the Gildenberg Omni Comment. And fast forward, 
Brian Gildenberg himself, how are you? I'm doing great, Shree, and really, anytime I get to see you in person, it's like my own personal dream academy. So, so how do we achieve this personal dream academy? We're actually especially coming to you live from downtown Cairo, like we are there today. There we go. <laughs> right behind us is the actual pyramid. If you look carefully, you can see it pointing upwards. That is not Mount Fuji up top. <laughs> and we're actually at Grocery no. Shop at the time of this recording, and we're lucky to have our guest today. So before we get to our guest, let me remind everyone to subscribe to our podcast. Go to your favorite platform, and if you use Apple or Spotify, please give us a rating. It helps us feed the algorithm. It actually makes our podcast more findable. It does. We want to express how honored we are to be rated the number one CPG podcast, two years running according to Feedspot, the right. leading podcast ranking authority. Mm-hmm. And we're pleased to have joined us in our top 30, our sister cast, CPG Scoop, Fast Forward by Brian, there we go. and the FMCG guys. You know what? You know where Fast Forward is the number one marketing podcast? Trinidad and Tobago. We're, we're, we're rocking it. We're happy to be formal sponsors on Next Up, whose mission is to advance all women in business. We're giving away memberships to this prestigious network and orgs. So drop us a line at contact at cpgguys.com to learn more and take advantage of what Next Up has to offer. Links to our podcast, our sister cast, and our landing page on Next Up can be found in the digital liner notes of this episode. So let's get to the main event. And in our main event today is our guest who joined the Bayer organization in 2013, waking his way up from a pharmacy business manager also known as a drug channel here in the U.S., to U.K. e-commerce lead to now being VP of e-commerce and omni-channel for North America. Proud of that, he is an esteemed 10-plus years as none other than a brand from which he have had so many a guest. Coca-Cola. That's true. Yes. Of course. Right. In 2022, he assumed the role as VP of e-commerce and omni-channel for North America in his current role. Today's conversation is sure to touch the intersection between physical and online a true omni-channel conversation. Back on September 17, 2022, we featured Chris Heimbach, U.S. Head of Sales, Commercial okay. Strategy, and Ops at Bayer. So, Ajay will be the second to come on the CPG, guys. Ajay. Right. I like that, huh? Or, 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 or AJ, as he's known to everybody else. I'm spoiled for choice, AJ. Yeah, there you are. Uh, so. <laughs> Welcome, join me in welcoming you to the podcast, I guess, Ajay Sharma. Ajay, great to be with you in person here at Grocery Shop 2023. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me here, Buff. Uh, sure thing. It's, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, it, ha- it has. It has. We've been we've been we've been stalking you for a while. So it's, uh, it's good to find good to, fi- good to finally land such a celebrity. So uh, so there we go. Finally, we found the celebrity. Yes. You know, we say that in jest, but at the end of the day, Ajay, your role in this industry and what you're doing to shape it, coming from an esteemed brand like Coca-Cola and now Bayer, it's a big deal what you're doing for the industry. And one of the ways we give back is on this podcast is to share that knowledge. So genuinely, thanks for making time, especially at a conference, to do this with us. The digital line of this episode will include links to your LinkedIn profile, Bayer's LinkedIn page for our listeners, and uh, so that they can access it from their phones itself while they listen. So, But before we get to the questions I've prepared, can you take a second and tell us what your role is at Bayer? Sure. So as VP e-commerce and omni-channel for North America, I had a, my role is made up of three areas. First area is leading the commercial team, so having full responsible for our e-commerce and omni-channel P&L. The second part of it is owning and leading the center of excellence, so everything from content and consumer experience. And then the third part is around uh, leaning our capability uh, building for the organization as well for e-commerce and omnichannel. And as we get into the uh, conversation, happy to share um, some of the things uh, that we've been doing. Looking forward to hearing that from you, so I'm going to jump right into it and go to question number one. Mm -hmm. Straightforward. Take us to your career journey from school in the UK. I, I'm not sure, did you go to school for pharmacy in the UK to pharmacy management to Coca-Cola to Bayer and now moving over from brick and mortar full-time into e-commerce and now omni-channel on top of that? Just take us over the years. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you asked me five years ago that I'd be running North America uh, for Bayer, I would have uh, I would have laughed at you. Actually, my, um, you know, my career started, um, I went to the University of West London. I actually studied business studies. And as part of the third year, um, I had to do a work placement, and that work placement took me to Coca, uh, Coca-Cola. Uh, before coming back, I completed my final year, and my dissertation was actually on Coca-Cola as well. And I think when I graduated, uh, I got asked to join their commercial grad scheme. So when I joined their commercial grad scheme, that took me through a number of different account manager roles across multiple channels, um, everything from education and workplace, independence, wholesale, and, and grocery. Um, Bayer at the time, ten, uh, fast forward 10 years, Bayer were going through an interesting period of time in the UK where they wanted to operate more FMCG-like. 
And I thought it was a great hook to take some of those skills to an organization that hadn't historically operated that way. Um, and that's when I first joined Bayer. And actually, as I look at uh, breadth of experience, I'd worked in every channel apart from pharmacy or drug. So that was the initial hook, A, for breadth of experience, but then also reapplying some of my skills that I've uh, learned in traditional CPG. So I actually joined um, um, heading up the drug channel or drug wholesale for Bayer in the UK. And it was funny, e-commerce at the time for me was a bit of a side hustle. So as we start looking at strategy uh, for our business in the UK, one of the growing or emerging areas was this thing called e-commerce at the time. Um, and I, I took it on as a side project. And uh, what started off as a short-term assignment then led to a fully-fledged role. Um, what then led from there was me doing a stint in our global team in Basel, Switzerland, as they wanted to replicate some of the success that we had in the UK. And I think uh, when I moved to Basel, I was heading up global e-com capabilities, so working with key markets to help build their e-commerce and omnichannel capabilities. And I think that was probably really eye-opening to me in terms of breadth of what's out there and what we can learn from other markets. Uh, I then started working closely with the US market, which then led to this uh, opportunity, and let's say the rest is history. Uh, but if I look at my e-commerce and omni-channel journey, the last five roles I've done within Bayer haven't existed. As e-commerce and omni-channel has grown, I've, I've grown with it. Excellent. And let's spend a little bit of time now unpacking the freeze omni-channel and what that what that means to you in terms of as you think about the ways in which omnichannel plans need to get developed and yep. the work that needs to take place to get that developed. From your perspective, what are some of the what are some of the best in class things that you've been able to do in order to be able to really start to bring the concept of omnichannel to actual life? I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot of yes, this. Yeah. Um, in terms of what it actually what it actually takes to to make an organization more omnichannel, like not just not just have an omnichannel function, but actually make the company itself more omnichannel. Yeah, and you know, the first part of that, uh, first part of the answer will be around where you are on the maturity scale and what needs right, to be yeah. done. And I think you know the fundamental learning that I've had in building omnichannel plans is fully understanding the role of e-commerce and omnichannel within your organization, mm -hmm. and that has to be the starting point rather than just doing things within this space. Right. And I think once then that becomes clear, the rest of the sort of where to play and how to win right. then becomes a lot easier. Now, in reality, it's not, because I think the fundamental problem that a lot of CPGs fall into at the moment is that we still manage my brand, my channel, my budget, yeah. rather than following the shopper. So right. the heart of the answer is, where is the shopper going? Right. What are the insights? And then how do we solve for it? And to shoppers, it's just shopping. Yeah. And how do we capture them? <laughs> the in-store or online? Well, is it also fair to say that I think, you know, one of the things that I think has matured, if you will, and as an organization matures, oftentimes the team that's responsible for e-commerce, particularly like a global team, yeah. is responsible for fighting fires and solving problems. And there's a shift somewhere along the way in the maturity curve where omnichannel goes from a problem to an opportunity. And you're able to sort of figure out what the opportunity looks like on the other side of that. And you're working with the teams that are responsible for the broader business and pushing them to see what the opportunities are, right? Like, is that is that sort of a maturity thing or is that just a, is that something that companies can kind of fast forward to? to uh, yeah, it's a bit of both. And okay. I think there is an opportunity to fast forward, but I think yeah. it all starts with what your strategy is right. and becoming clear. And again, one of the other key learnings is be inspired, but don't try and replicate what others are doing. And I've fallen yes. into that trap before as well, mm -hmm. where you try and replicate strategies and structures, but it's very different to where other companies are versus the maturity curve that you're at. Is it, time for, is, is it, is it time for me to say this is 0.0% correlation between any specific structure and success in this industry? Correct. Good. Okay. Yeah. I just did. So, <laughs> You know, the interesting thing that comes to mind is I've uh, been at e-commerce at PepsiCo, both mm -hmm. at Frito and Pepsi. Johnson, and I mean, don't want to give you my resume here, but at fairly oh, large don't. brands multiple times uh, bef before settling into a slightly different role now. And I got to tell you guys, the amount of obsession there was each and every time over the org model and the need and desire to make sure who reports to who yeah. to be able to get the right value out of the channel. It's still mind-boggling today. Instead of that, if people just did their jobs, and they chased external thinking and focus, yeah. a lot of these problems would get mm -hmm. solved, such as this conference, be here, show up, 
get network, get the most from it. Thoughts, gentlemen? Yeah. I think the other part is actually supporting functions around what you'd call the core structure. And what we've um, certainly we found in my, my learnings is you can have titles and structure don't mean anything if the enabling functions right. aren't allowing that core team to do what they're hired well to do. Said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think that's true. And I think the other interesting piece is, is that so often what you're trying to what you're trying to solve for in structure is really usually workflow. And you don't need to solve structure to solve workflow. It's just people gravitate to structure issues because whatever. Consult well, consultants like to sell it, first of all. And secondly, because they make a lot of money. And secondly, people are opportunistic from a structure point of view. And that's unfortunately where you don't get the best side of everyone when you're having an org redesign conversation. The other interesting thing, which may or may not have been something yep. we were talking about an hour ago, is the way resources flow in an organization becomes incredibly critical, right? Because unless you really work at it, no structure in the world is going to change the way money naturally flows in your company, right? So the metaphor, Sri, that I was using before is like, it's like the Colorado River gets to the Grand Canyon, right? Like, you can't just take a couple of buckets of water, dump it to the right, and hope the river is going to go around the Grand Canyon. It's not going to do that. It's got thousands of years of evolutionary pattern that flow resources a certain way. Unless you really think about how the resources flow differently, no structure in the world is going to change anything because you're still going to make the same decisions. You're still going to put money in the same places. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, we were talking a lot of it aligns from the starting point of the role of e-commerce and omnichannel within the organization. Right. Because once that's clear, sort of top down and people buy into it, actually, in theory, resources should flow and ladder up back to those overall goals. I think the trap that some CPGs fall into is that we have overall arching business goals, and then there are individual goals that don't ladder up to anything, and that leads to a mismatch when it comes to call it digital investment. Uh, well said, individual goals that don't ladder up to anything. Mm -hmm. So I want to go to one particular area now, which may, which is getting impacted by the org statements you both have made, and mm -hmm. I chimed in on, which is our favorite word here on the CPG guys, also known as retail media. <laughs> Now, uh, in that world, I love your thinking on this. First of all, a lot of companies now are obsessing and we need to get the org right. That person needs to sit in this org, otherwise it's not going to work. That's how budgeting works, blah, blah, blah. How do you approach retail media? Like, what's your suggestion? How do you secure budgets for it? And then how do you advise people on planning effectively and measuring? Yep, sure. I think there's lots to unpack within retail media. But, you know, when it comes to a bit of advice, certainly from my learnings, is... Firstly, I think once you follow the shopper and you're sort of clear on your priorities around the channels that you want to play in, and within that, the customers that will drive what you're trying to achieve, retail media comes as a natural flow as to where to convert and capture that shopper. And I think that's number one, where a lot of CPGs either don't pay enough attention or they rush into just playing everywhere, is be very clear in terms of what you prioritize and what you want to go, what you want to go after, because your investment choices should then mirror those strategic choices. And a lot of time there's a disconnect because retail media, everybody's then trying to spread everything everywhere based on retailer demands. Um, so number one is, you know, those investment choices should mirror your strategic choices. The second part is just because you do that, you need the agility to move and pivot where you need to because some of these things won't work. And a lot of the time, we don't hold retail media uh, fully enough to account in terms of conditionality and what we're, what, we get, what we're getting back in return. And I think, you know, the, the third area is I don't think we're paying enough attention to future platforms as well. Right. So there's one element of day-to-day -day which keeps the business going. And then the second part is around well, where do we need to win in the future and how do we build that equity? So yeah. a good example would be, um, uh, you know, social. Yeah. So, you know, 71% of uh, Gen Z shoppers are yes. using TikTok as their primary mode of search. Shout out to our, our Fresh 4 co-host, Andrea Lay, for that factoid. Yeah, so, so uh, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, what? how do we understand those algorithms, how we're approaching that channel when it comes to retail media, when we're sort of forward-looking as well. So, but I mean, be, be serious, areas. guys. Yeah. How many brands understand that TikTok is a medium of search? I would say very few. 
I lost. I, a, I, I lost a bet on it last yeah, week. So, I, uh, um, so yeah, <laughs> I but decompose. How did you lose the bet? Well, um, as in there are more brands than you thought, or no, it's a net I was zero. part of that conversation. Yeah, we, we, had, we yeah. Uh, basically, basically, I made the mistake of disagreeing with Andrea, which is almost <laughs> always, uh, almost always That's a way to how lose you a lost bet. the bet. Yeah, I disagreed with Andrea. I was wrong. But so, but, um, <laughs> but you feel you feel many brands do get get it. No, I don't. I don't think there's. I mean, I asked you earlier. It's like, and I, I don't think there are. 150 people in the consumer packaged goods world that understand how TikTok search algorithm works. So, so I just because I don't, I don't know, and I and certainly how to influence content to reward that search algorithm in any meaningful way. I don't think anybody in a big company's got any. This is like Instagram five years ago, right? Like before before Meta figured it was just easier to sell it than to have people actually earn it and win it. Um, but for now. You can't buy TikTok, really. I mean, you have to actually legitimately earn the algorithm's respect and earn attention on the platform. I, I don't think anybody's got their head around this at a big company level. This feels this feels like one of the ways where small companies are really kicking the butts of big ones to me. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, um, a lot of people don't understand it. And this is where, how do you move past vanity projects to actual, the, you know, the role that social can play, um, you know, within your overall strategy? And that will vary from category to category. So even for us, where we have a number of different different categories that we play in, um, from nutritionals to pain to allergy, each one of these omni-channel platforms will have a different role to play. Um, so how do you how do you how do you get to the bottom of what role the social really have to play within right. your overall plan, right. and then you activate accordingly rather than just activating social? Well, this gets into an interesting question then around measures, right? Because so often yeah. the 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 opportunity is. Or the gap sometimes is, so if I don't know how to measure it, I can't do it. And it's like, so we shouldn't do it if we can't measure it. It's like, well, that's not usually the actual real life way to solve the problem. Like if something's important, do it and then learn how to measure it. Don't don't make the things that you can measure important. Measure the things that are important, right? There's a, there's a difference there. But from your point of view, um, you know, I know that there's a lot of measures right now when you think about commerce in terms of digital shelf and content and search and all that stuff. And I guess my question would be from a metrics point of view, that stuff's all like important to the day to day, right? But how else are you thinking about what measures of success are and how many measures of success should you give a, should you give a commerce team? Should you give them, if you want a hundred different outcomes, should you measure a hundred different things? How, how should you think? Uh, so my view on metrics, um, are fairly simple, actually. It's yeah. uh, certainly for me, I found that Depending on the audience and what you're trying to achieve, simple is sometimes better in yeah. order to force action. So consistent metrics um, across different functional groups is something that a lot of CPG should do. And I found success in this both at Coke, but also at, uh, at Bayer as well. Let me give you an example. Yeah. Um, if you think you know, e-commerce is no longer a sales or a commercial or a brand, it's a mix of everything. You cannot win if everybody is not on board. So how do we make sure we have the right simple KPIs where everybody's measured on the same thing across three to four functional areas? And I would look at it in very, you know, three areas. First one is a digital shelf metric, which is all yeah. the actions that you take. Here, 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 here are the, given, given that we're in Vegas, table stakes seems like an appropriate phrase. T hey. Table stakes. Uh, <laughs> hey, look at this. You got yeah. poker chips? Look at us. Okay. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I've got some in my bag. So, uh, so. We're in Cairo. We're in uh, <laughs> of course, uh, yes. Uh, uh, casinos uh, in Cairo. Yeah. So digital shelf <laughs> metric. And if you get your digital shelf metrics right, right. they've got to be a commercial metric. Uh, but then there's got, also got to be an external share metric. And I think if you can limit and simplify to at least those three metrics that are consistent to our brand and commercial functions, right. that will ha a help drive the action, right. but also keep us consistent in what we're trying to measure um, back up to Omnichannel. Yep. Now, within that, let me start to unpick this a little bit. You know, we talk about enabling functions. Supply chain will have their own KPIs. Commercial right. strategy will have their own sort of KPIs, but they have to ladder back up to those three metrics yep. because if we're not laddering back up to those three metrics. We can't be going off in different directions. Well, and I think to one of the to tie back to a remark mm -hmm. you made earlier about organizational maturity curves, right? I think that there are there's an argument for getting a little bit more granular about what you measure from a from an inputs point of view yes. for an organization that doesn't have the same level of commerce maturity. But once you know that the inputs are going to happen, when you only when you measure the outcomes and the outputs, you let teams make decisions, and that really enhances speed. Yeah, fair statement. Yes, it is, and. 
show rather than tell, because the fewer yeah. KPIs you have, it's easier to influence by showing rather than e-commerce and omni-channel by PowerPoint. Yeah, and it's and you've seen some companies that are excellent in e-commerce, including one we were talking to last week, that almost make a point of telling the teams, no, measure at a higher level. Yeah. Don't disempower the team by measuring too granularly. Let the team decide how to get to that outcome because they are confident the team knows how to do that. There are situations where you might not be able to do that in a different organization because your team wouldn't know how to get to the outcome. Yeah. So you got to measure some inputs a little bit. And this is almost like that. We, you know, we're having this conversation about true empowerment and promoting yeah. sort of dis- uh, let them be the decision makers. Um, it's actually allowing them to make the decisions and run with it. Um, and I think that varies based on where you are, again, on the maturity curve. Right. But again, look, uh, just to give everyone uh, confidence as well, I've been at the other side or the entry level as well. I've been the one-man band where it's, you know, you've got a, we want a five-year plan and you've got zero budget to deliver. I've been there as well. You know, I had to pay 30 bucks out of my own pocket to create a hero image back in the day just to prove, wait, wait, just wait, for wait, proof wait, of concept. Wait. Out of your own? Yeah, 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 yeah. Proof of concept where yeah. it was like, what is this thing? Uh, I, you know, I, I work with a company to create a hero image just for proof of concept. Right. Did it myself. Yeah. Um, put it out there. Well, hopefully those days are long gone. Well, so those days are long well, gone, well, so but much, again, I've been on the, yeah. the other side of it where it's like, what is this? Well, so much thing? of that hero imagery work came out of the UK, and it was just that one dude at Unilever, Oliver Bradley, yes. who just yeah, was yeah, doing yeah, this yeah, like yeah. as a hobby, right? Like, and built like a whole <laughs> litany of intelligence around hero images, just like, because you know, something he like will that. never know, or maybe he does, yes. but the industry owes him oh, yeah. for making digital content images for a PDP yeah. as profound as they are today. Oh, yeah, no, I know. He's, I mean, he's one of the, like, he's like the one of those, like, weird baseball analysts that discovered that, you know, you should try to hit home runs yeah. all the time. Like, you can I go back ten years? Uh, it's funny enough you mentioned Ollie Bradley. He actually yeah. helped uh, uh, create that image with me. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, well, so that's why I figured. So, and yeah. you had to pay him thirty bucks. Not, not him. Not him. Don't worry. He helped me co-create it. I'll pay this agency. Right, uh, yeah, yeah. I was going to send him a note. Uh, I asked for thirty bucks, man. Thirty pounds, not bucks. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I well, do have a measurement question before we move on here, which is, companies still measure e-commerce numbers which is primarily your pure play numbers, and they judge success based on that. Does that feel right? Um, so purely measuring on numbers will not give you a Sales view number. of, yeah, what will, in isolation, will not give you a, a complete picture. I think it's an internal metric. That's why I think, you know, when it comes to metrics, there's got to be some view of how you then benchmark um, you know, versus the competition right. or what you're actually measuring against. Mm-hmm. That's why a commercial number in isolation for me, it's a good internal number. But right. if you're up 50% year on year, you could still be behind the competition. So that's why I think, you know, when we look at those three simple metrics, you've got to balance off the internal with an external metric. Mm-hmm. A, it could be a reality check. Yeah. But B, keeps you grounded in terms of what's happening externally. And I think because share is so important to you as well, because I know how you think about stuff, it's also interesting because people people will pick apart digital share metrics all day and like, oh, well, that's not right. That's not what's like, well, can we just agree that it's wrong, right? So we'll start from wrong. But look at the drivers and let's measure the change in it, right? So the absolute number matters way less than the delta, right? And you know my view on this and we were talking this. Use those digital shelf metrics. Don't get caught up in the detail. Use yeah. it as a directional right. measure. Otherwise, you could argue about the quality of data. It's there to tell you that it's either good or it's not good enough. And that should be the starting point for those conversations. Yeah. yeah, measure the direction, not the absolute. Yeah. Correct. Yes. So let me remind our audience that I'm speaking with Ajay Sharma from the Bayer Company. Technology and terminology alert right here. Buzzword of the day. Artificial intelligence. <laughs> How are you personally learning and keeping pace with what this is? And how do you connect it on your day job as head of Omnicommerce? Do you like the brand of Omnicommerce? Yes, it's a very, it's a very good word. Almost as good a buzzword as AI, so we're, we're getting there. So yeah, I mean, um, yeah, we've waited 20 minutes and I was waiting for AI to uh, show yeah. up. So I think, look, um, AI is a form of technology, uh, advanced technology, and it's always been there. Uh, I think it's just getting more sophisticated. So there's one thing around keeping up with the latest trends in terms of what's out there from a tools and tech point of view. And then, um, you know, how we're looking at it is, you know, we, we're looking at the right form of tests and learns. But more importantly, how I'm thinking about it is what role can it actually play to help 
automate, make things faster, and drive efficiencies uh, across the organization. Mm -hmm. And those efficiencies could come across and manifest themselves in a number of different ways. Um, as we'll get into it, there could be something around speed to content, for example. Yeah, there could be um, automation, mm -hmm. for example. How can we scrape search terms a lot more quicker in real time and make some faster decisions mm -hmm. that will allow us to, uh, you know, update more, uh, more real time? So there's, I think there's a number of different ways that we could play out. We are testing and learning with some of the AI, but so far with some of these areas, particularly within healthcare, um, you know, there's a lot more human eyes on the outputs of some of the initial uh, forms of AI. Mm -hmm. So I think there's two things. It's uh, it's a um, how early it still is in uh, in its stages, but B, the future um, opportunity that it could hold and will be coming. So, um, yep, we're working with it, we're utilizing it, um, but we're not rushing and doing anything sort of totally drastic with it. Um, but we are preparing ourselves for the future, knowing that it will create efficiencies. What do you recommend people, or what do you suggest, or what's been your own personal learning way, just reading articles? Like, how do you... How do you conquer this beast of gotta learn AI and it's everything and it's gonna control our future and oh my god the aliens are here? Yeah, I mean look genuinely it's yeah. um outside of the normal industry events, this is an e-com capability um fact, you know, in general is you have to you have to part self-learn some of these things and then you have to part build capability around you know more formal training for your organization as well. Now we're very fortunate, you know, we have a analytics and insights function. Um you know, who, who are at the forefront of looking at what tools, technology um, is coming sort of more down the line. Uh, the second part of it is, yeah, investing in training to make sure people can actually use and understand it. So, again, um, having AI is one thing. Understanding it and how to use it is another. Mm -hmm. And this will come on to when we talk capability as well later on. Well, and this also builds into the next question, which is that basically if you're trying to feed AI, you need to feed it with data, right? So there's... There, there's a lot of data in the world, and this yes. will come as a surprise to everybody, but you've got a bunch of different data sets now that are important in an omni-channel world. You've got your pre-existing commercial data that comes from the retailers. You've got consumer and shopper data that's coming from a variety of places. You've got retail media performance numbers that are coming yeah. in. You've got digital shelf data. How do you how do you sort through all that? Like, what are what are some of the decisions that as an as an you think an organization needs to make around data? What are what are the things? And then how do you how do you really put it to work for you in a yeah. in a high impact way? So hopefully you've seen a theme just around sort of broad strategy and everything laddering back up. Yeah. Data is no different because I think once you're clear on what you need to achieve, you can then start to pinpoint what you currently have and what gaps that you have from a process point of view, but then also from a data point of view. Yeah. Um, across those different areas from a uh, shopper inside brand, digital shelf, commercial share, for example, yeah. each one will require different data inputs. I think the trick is less about the individual pieces of data, it's knowing what to do with them and how do you stitch those together right. to give you a longer term output to help you make the right strategic and executional choices. And that's the disconnect that I see within CPG yeah. is that that data exists and pieces of it exists. We don't know what to do with it yeah. all the time. Right. Um, and this is where, again, the metrics come back in because overall strategy, yeah. overall plan, what are you trying to measure? And then have you got the right inputs right. to measure the outputs? And that connectivity piece is so important too because so many companies are going out and hiring data scientists because they're told they're supposed to. Data scientists are like chefs, right? But if you don't have food, hiring six chefs doesn't make the restaurant better, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so, and the skill sets around engineering data, cleaning it, you know, managing it, the kind of the grungy work of the data world, like the work that what data engineers do. I think data engineers, for those people that are less familiar with the data world, you're gonna hear less about hiring data scientists and more about hiring data engineers mm -hmm. to cleanse data, to make it, to make it food so that data scientists and AI can both use it better. Yep, so, and, and that's where the connectivity piece comes in. Right? Correct, and you know, um, agree with that. And I think when we talk about laddering back up, it all comes back to that uniformed or unified source of truth as well um, that the organization's measuring omni-channel on. Um, and you, know, you can manufacture numbers to give you a story by function if you want, but how do we really push down, you know, there is one source of truth that we're measuring against that we use collectively as an organization. So the, the one thing about data that 
it's not a worry, but it, on occasion I get concerned by yep. the proliferation of how much data we have and how many data sources we have. Majority of decisions for most brands are either based on their syndicated data platform, that could be Circana or NIQ, mm -hmm. depending upon who the provider is and what the brands have selected. That's how the company's bigger picture decisions are made, goal setting is done. They have about 60, 70% coverage of everything that the company sells, but that's how the decisions are made. But then you have goal setting is made. Then you have 1P data that's coming in many forms these days, uh, which is allowing marketing plans, at least an input into marketing plans, it's not syndicated. Then you have retail data that's coming along, not just with retail media, but as a whole separate ecosystem. I mean, I can this list is pretty long and mm -hmm. I can go on and on and on. What do you recommend to those in that space that are in data and analytics to manage all these data sets? Like, is there one is better than the other? You gotta be an expert at everything. And then who takes on this crazy task of clean rooms and bringing, now I finally know clean rooms is not about bleach. So how do you bring all this stuff together and do it? I mean, is this something the industry's conquered? It's something where I think some CPGs are doing better than others, but I don't think anyone's fully conquered it uh, quite yet, in, uh, in my opinion. Um, so I think, look, from a, from a data point of view, I think part of it is, again, I think depending on the metrics that you choose to measure, you can make them as complicated or as simplified as you want. But having the right data sources to give you that output is going to be the starting point of identifying the role a Nielsen, a Sarkana, a, 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 you know, a digital shelf provider, a, a share metric provider would actually play within that. And I think a lot of, again, CPGs from my experience, they want a bit of everything. And the problem is we get too confused in the data that can be manipulated in very different ways. And I think certainly within this space, you've got to be comfortable with directional information um, in some aspects, um, and then we'll uh, you know, get more granular where, we need, where you need to get more granular as well. But again, a lot of it for me comes down to, have you got the right omni-channel capabilities from a data point of view, that the data scientists, engineers know what to do with it, and that's what we rely, uh, you know, um, insights and digital team to actually do, which is by the time it gets to us, it's not about questioning the data. We trust the data to then make those uh, strategic and executional choices on. So I'm going to jump from there into data as a segue into talent. Yes. Yep. I'm still I'm still a little not not 100% convinced that talent exists to mine all that data. We've had a again another uh, buzzword alert: data scientist. <laughs> yeah. Right. I can claim I'm a data scientist because I've worked for IRI for a good five plus years and did a lot of data deep digging in platforms that aren't as easy and sophisticated as they are today. But that leads me to talent. Does talent truly exist that's omnichannel in the CPG industry? And what virtues are required to be successful as an omnichannelist if there was such a word? For example, my pick is I feel curiosity is the number one topic. Yep. Without that, good luck. Mm -hmm. I'd love to learn. And Brian, I'd love you for you to chime in yeah. after that as well. Sure. Talent virtues in this space, what matters, what doesn't. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack uh, within talent, but let's start you with You personally them. have come yeah. from pharmacy, yeah. Coca-Cola, yeah. brick and mortar, e-commerce, now omni-channel, now leader, leadership. So I think uh, a good way to start this conversation will be mindset of a skill set. And I think, uh, you know, those skills around curiosity and transferable skills do not undervalue the skills that you have currently built within sort of CPG and breadth of experience, because this space is moving at such a pace that, you know, any experience or knowledge that you might have had a year ago is already out of date. The skill set is something that can be learned, which is number yeah number one mindset of a of a skill set i think the second part when it comes to talent is there's there's two ways certainly how i think about building talent um again once you know all your you know your strategies and the role omnichannel has to play yes there's a balance of bringing in the right external expertise where you have very specific gaps to help kickstart uh, the engine but CPGs will only win if they develop their organizational talent and invest in capability building. 
And there's two parts of capability I look at it. There's infrastructure capability, and then for the purpose of this conversation, there's skill capability. And that goes across our commercial teams, our brand teams, our supply chains, our legal teams, our finance teams. So what I'm, what I, my advice is, don't think just sales and marketing when it comes to omnichannel. You have to unpack it and identify the roles those enabling functions have to play within your overall plan and have a coordinated strategy in terms of how you're going to build that. Um, and again, it's no different to the 70-20-10 of, you know, on the job development, formal classroom, and then some form of uh, mentoring. But if you don't tackle it, if you don't address it, if you don't plan for it, you end up in this no man's land view of where um, you will participate, but you will never win. And, um, you know, we've, we've built that up over the last uh, sort of couple of years that's allowed us to give us a good platform uh, for talent as well. If I look at my organization, everyone across those three areas of my yep. organization, I want in other parts of the business yep. as, uh, as the next rotation, and I want other so, people. So the thing that intrigues me is, and Brian, I'll yep. toss this to you and our JLS yep. for you to chime in after, yep. Brian. Can you take, a, let's say, two-decade, two-and-a-half-decade brick-and-mortar veteran mm-hmm. and teach him omni-channel skills? Like, I feel a decade or a decade-and-a-half digital veteran is very hesitant to learn brick and mortar. So why should the other side be expected? Well, I, well, it's interesting because this is the build I was going to yeah. ask you to elaborate because we've again we've talked about this before, and I like the notion that you expressed at one time about thinking about well, look, I can I need people that know e-commerce and know how to work an organization, right? If they've got one of those skills, I can teach them the other. I can't teach them both, right? So the person's got to bring something to the table, right? So I do think, look, I'm sure you know this is a sort of a pet thing of mine. I think that, yes, I think there are more people that grew up brick and mortar that need to understand the digital world. Sure. Yeah, of course. Um, And I think that organizations that are smart will purposely design roles for that to take people that are, quote unquote, legacy brick and mortar and have them spend some time in the e-commerce space with that ecosystem so that they can learn it. I think think at the same time that I think the digital world gets let off way too easily sometimes in terms of being excused from understanding how large-scale rigorous commercial planning works. And that, to me, is one of the biggest problems I think organizations are facing today. I don't think digital teams understand how large companies actually make decisions when they have to choose. For years, people that grew up in the e-commerce space, and sure you know this better than I do, never to choose, right? You just did stuff and, you know, whatever happened was incremental because nobody planned it, right? Like nobody planned your Amazon volume five years ago. If it happened, great. It's the analogy I use. It's like, it's like when your seven-year-old draws a stick figure picture of the family and it's like, oh, awesome. New incremental art. I can hang it on the refrigerator and it's adorable. When your seven-year-old decides to paint something that you're going to hang in that dining room, you know, no, that needs to actually look a certain way to fit the overall concept of the rest of the room. If it's going to be actual art and not just incrementally happy art, it's got to actually look so that it fits the rest of the room. And I don't think digital teams, by and large, have embraced the responsibility that comes with the decision rights that they've been given as their businesses have gotten much bigger and much more incremental. You know, you know my pet peeve on this, which is Prime Day, um, which is that People are just dumping a ton of money and resource on Prime Day because it's wonderful, but that stuff, excuse me, is going to get baked into the plan at some point. Anniversary Prime Day two years from now is going to be an absolute <laughs> pain in the neck for big CPG companies in the same way that anniversary some pointless BOGO at Publix has been a pain in the neck for years. You get this stuff baked into the plan, you'll be doing this for 100 years. After Amazon has stopped existing, you'll still be running Prime Day. That's the anniversary of the volume that's now baked into your plan. Sorry, that was a... That wasn't a question. That no, was, no. It, what do you think, Isaac? What do you think, Isaac? To, to, to build on Brian's rant, was, <laughs> the only thing I would add is um, let's not forget the role of brick and mortar as well within this overall equation, which still has a significant part to play yeah. in many CPGs. So when we start looking at developing sort of talent in other parts of the organization, I almost don't need them to go from zero to 100 being a digital expert as well. Right. But what I do need is how can we help them develop to understand those omni-channel plans within their retailers yeah. and build upon it. So I think there's always a balance of, uh, you know, knowing the role that uh, brick and mortar has to play, and uh, you know, 
step stepping up you know in terms of that capability uh, training plan in terms of how we get them to a certain degree of knowledge i mean at the very fundamentals it's like how can understand at least, how can everybody at least understand the terminology that we right. use and then we start to build upon it and ultimately you um, you know cpgs will have to do a competency assessment in terms of mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a big question but is your talent good enough um, depending on where you want to go but would you agree that the reverse should be true as well those that are digital experts they need to learn the brick and mortar world 100% and are they coachable 100% are yes. they coachable i think uh, yes it look again from my opinion they are uh, and i'll tell you a reason why because if you think about how let's let's take the likes of amazon have evolved in amazon you've got enough commercial you know you've got enough financial you've got enough brand you've got enough mm-hmm. supply chain it actually gives them a very good introduction level to the broader broader parts of the business if we're really going to win in omnichannel i want you know people in my team to actually be in other parts of the organization a to learn those areas but b they then become the enabling functions that will enable the next wave of call it the amazon team to go and deliver and i think if you cycle that longer enough that becomes your 70% of my 702010 right. on the job development but this doesn't happen overnight and this is where again the role of omnichannel within your organization and how leadership perceive it and what they actually do with it well and i think too that one of the things that i've worked with clients a lot on in my world is trying to help them understand the, the difference between decisions and choices so um so yep. um so i think that 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 level of experience that you get like in an amazon world where you work across the different functions i think that teaches you how those functions makes deci- make decisions I think where I see digital teams being weak is not about how your company makes decisions, but how they make choices. Decisions yeah. are go, no, go in a tactical situation. Choices are about where resources are going to flow. And I can only do so many things because I only have so much money and so much bandwidth. And how those choices get yeah. made is not, and I think that's the maturity level that comes next in the digital world is understanding when you get that seat at the table, when you're reporting to the general yeah. manager, the marketer, knowing how that general manager makes resource allocation decisions and how they're going to sometimes choose not to allocate resources to you but need to allocate resources to something else the maturity to be able to then handle that manage that and make do with less than you asked for i think is going to be an important capability for e-commerce teams as their as their growth begins to plateau i mean when we look at the next 5 years you know it's a weird thing to say but in the retail cities where they come from we got the e-commerce forecast to grow at 9% a year over the next 5 years you know value discount in the US is going to grow at over 8 like right? for the first time in a long time e-commerce's growth rate is going to start to get more normalized with the other channels of retail that are growing so there are going to be choices to be made about where yes. resources go so leave it to you for the last question oh yeah sorry mm-hmm. I, i was babbling i forgot so um yeah um so the last question we always ask is the the fast forward one because that's why i get to ask it um <laughs> but podcast he does yeah, so there you go. so it's 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 a, if only if only I had a podcast called that but if you were looking um just at the future right like yeah. what what are you know what are some of the big trends that you see that are going to shape this industry over the next 1 to 3 years what do you, what what do you what do you got your eye on yeah i'll summarize probably what we've uh, you know you know we highlighted a couple of these trends earlier on uh, you know ai obviously is one of them and i think it's more about the rise of ai and knowing um the role that it can play um and how companies adapt it to drive efficiencies i think the second one um big one for me is around uh, social and we talked around social yeah TikTok being one of those examples how big TikTok is how big social could be and how underprepared some CPGs are within this and not paying enough attention to it will be a trend to watch because I think those that can manage can you mean overall social commerce correct yeah but within that I think TikTok will be at the prominent the, the, the prominent or the heart even of though Congress growth. has tried to ban it and failed a few times yeah i mean legal issues aside um right. you know as we talked outside about, of the state of montana and congress yeah yes. it will be a big deal so yes. yeah is that a fact state of montana didn't know <laughs> why well, the state of montana was trying to ban tiktok at some point so the nine people of montana are now outside of the tiktok universe so oh <laughs> shout out to people from montana, no less yeah. impressions yeah and right. then well the last part would be our brands and cpgs prepared for how to connect all this as part of their omnichannel strategy as well you know uh we talked about investments we talked about costs how do you split these investments and costs in line with priorities across these multiple touch points retailers and platforms will be something that 
CPGs have got to manage better and make some make some tough uh, choices, uh, sort of Brian mentioned. Mm-hmm. And sort of lastly, I think you know we talked around how do you delineate between executional improvements versus transformational change. Um, and we talked about skill capability uh, earlier on. Infrastructure capability will be another big one. That is as much. Yeah. Which we can hopefully, well, could spend another whole podcast just that on them. data example that we discussed, if you don't have the infrastructure to be able to harness it, you're not going to get very far. Yeah. Right. Well, we didn't even touch on things like supply chain. Right. So. No. Well, we, got, uh, we have many topics to come <laughs> for the next time we have you on. So. Hey, yes, maybe, just maybe... When we fast forward six months and we get to shop talk, we can have you back and get into some of those episodes. And hopefully we'll have the same view of Cairo. So we could, uh, part two, part two coming soon. Yeah, same view two, of Cairo. Yes. Here we go. So let me yeah. remind our audience, you can find all of our content on the cpgguys.com URL. And of course, we have seven-day-a-week programs. So do check us out on LinkedIn as well. If you think you or your company has some thought leadership to contribute to our community discussion, drop us an email at contact at cpgguys.com. Again, contact at cpgguys.com. Maybe you can join us on the podcast just like Ajay here did. Don't forget to drop us a rating at cpgguys.com on the navigation bar top. And I can't say thank you enough time. 26K followers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ajay, thank you for making time, being busy enough at this conference to come out here, spend an hour with us, get this discussion going on all things Army Channel. We value your attendance here a lot. And I want to say thank you. No, thank you to you both. It's been a pleasure being here. Really enjoyed the discussion. Look forward to uh, part two. Mr. Gildenberg, thank you as always. I want to ask you to summarize it since he just did. (laughs) Right. Okay, there you go. So so I could just summarize by saying that if you need AJ, he prefers to be called AJ. (laughs) AJ, there we go. (laughs) Thank you to AJ. Thank you to Brian. That's a wrap for this episode of the CPG Guys. Catch you again soon. Take care. Thanks. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.